We're going to continue a series. It's a mini-series called Maintenance Required. And I have fallen in love with the letters to the church. The more I study it, the more I enjoy it. And uh, last week, uh, we started off with, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, We're going to continue today. And and the title is United We Stand, Divided We Fall. And we're going to continue this mini-series called Maintenance Required. It's repairing... Paul's repairing a broken church, and it, it blows my mind as a pastor 2,000 years later how we're dealing with the same stuff. It's like people are people. They never change. We just don't change. It's just people do the same stupid things, and they repeat the same stupid things, and we deal with the same stupid things within the church. And so Paul's like exhausted with this. So I'm going to draw your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 1, and we're going to continue through probably down to verse 13. And so as we look at this, I want you to understand that this is Paul's first, uh, his first missionary journey to Athens. During that missionary journey, he became very frustrated. He was trying, I want you to think of it this way. Don't think of Paul as a missionary as much as he was. He was more of a church planner than a missionary. And, and so he, he goes to a new region, a new location. And he meets all these challenges. And he's so frustrated with the Jewish people. They're so caught up with tradition. He just couldn't get things going the way he wanted to. And so he finally makes a decision and he shifts gears. His heart was for the Gentile people. And he says, I'm done. I'm frustrated. I'm shifting gears. And according to Acts chapter 18, uh, this whole division and everything that was taking place in this town of Athens prodded him to shift gears and focus on the Gentile people. And so he set forth to, uh, to focus on Corinth. And, um, and this was a very special church plant because Corinth was a very challenging location. And this would be considered, according to church history, his second missionary journey. In the beginning, he received a lot of opposition. I mean, he was pretty much frustrated like he was in Acts chapter 18 when he was dealing with Athens. But this kind of resolved itself and it worked out and he worked through a lot of red tape. When we were preparing to come to this location of Dublin, we worked through a lot of logistics to figure out how do we reach the people in this area. And uh, it's different than Columbus. And it was the same for Paul. Athens was uniquely different than Corinth. And so he was began to lay out the groundwork and for a year and a half, he began to plant this church. And it developed and people got saved and they began to join the church and things just worked out really well. And so he left Corinth after about a year and a half and then he goes to Ephesus and he's planting another church. And so, but while he was gone, the church started to decline. Remember where the church is. The church is in Corinth and, in, 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 and Corinth has a lot of corruption And so Paul has to write the church and deal with some of the divisions and the problems of the church because they started declining and drifting away from the Lord. Um, Corinth is a very influential city. Uh, Often it's referred to as like California uh, because it had a lot of entertainment. It was the hub for entertainment. It it um, It was morally laxed. It was very successful. It had a lot of money. Uh, and it was unique in its location because it was, uh, it was between two joining ports, which made it uh, a center for uh, trade routes. 
And so they had a lot of money going through from the east and the west. These, there were people passing through. And this resulted in a very prosperous city, if you would. But also, it was declining morally. It, there were some big issues within this city. And so to plant a church here was just mind-blowing. Uh, I have, I've known guys that planted in San Francisco and some of the challenges they experienced. And so for Paul to plant a church in this location, it was kind of like planting a church in California. And a lot of people back in that time would refer to people that are uh, grossly immoral as um, to live like a Corinthian. He's living like a Corinthian. He's just so immoral and he's edgy and he's, he's just perverse. And so that was the mentality that Paul had to deal with when he planted the church in Corinth. So according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul receives word. Remember, he's in Ephesus and he's started a new work and he's so excited what's going on in Corinth because this was a challenge to plant a church in Corinth. Now he's getting word that things are not going well. And so while he's in Ephesus, he writes his letter. And this is the first letter to the church of Corinth. Well, actually, it's kind of like the second letter because he made reference that he wrote to the church of Corinth before, but we don't have record of it because this is a physical record we have. We call this 1 Corinthians. You know why we call it 1 Corinthians? Because it's the first letter to the church of Corinth. And then you have 2 Corinthians, which is the second letter to the church of Corinth. So, makes sense, right? It was written around 53 AD. And so, nearly 2,000 years ago, or a little longer than that, this took place. Which brings me to the letter. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 13. At the beginning of the letter, there's this introduction. Follow me, all right? Everybody stay focused, because I don't want you to lose this. At the beginning of the letter, there's this introduction... And so Paul introduces the letter with this clarification of his apostleship. I don't know why Paul does this. He felt like he had to always clarify, I'm an apostle. The reason I think he does this is because there was 12 apostles plus one. That one, the plus one would be Paul. See, an apostle was one that was literally called out by God to do a mission. He was called by God, by Jesus Christ, face to face. That's not necessarily true with Paul Because he didn't walk with Jesus, but on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus. It was post of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, hey, listen, I am an apostle. I have the right to say I'm an apostle. I wasn't one of the disciples, but I am an apostle because Jesus himself gave me and commissioned me to to reach the Gentile people. And so he kind of, he begins with that. And you know what's weird about letters at this time? They start off with who they are instead of dressing who the letter is to. Like I write a letter, Dear John. They start off the letter, Hey, I'm Dave. And I want to let you know, Pastor Dave, by the way, that I'm writing this letter because of A, B, C, and D. They didn't do that. They started off with, you know, Um, excuse me, they didn't start off with the name of the person they're addressing, which should have been Chloe, because Chloe is the one that reached out to Paul and said, there's a problem in our church. This is really interesting. She's a member of the church. We believe it's a female. It could have been a male, but we believe it's a female. And she's saying there's division in the church. And so Paul opens up the letter in verse 1, introducing himself as an apostle. And then within the letter, you see who he's addressing it to. It wasn't just the church, but he specifically mentions Chloe, Chloe, who is a member of the church. 
I hope that makes sense. So then you go into verse 2. There's this sanctification that's mentioned. So Paul says about the church, you're sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints. This is so funny because people get this mixed up. Do you guys realize you and me are saints? I'm Saint Dave. (laughs) You are sanctified. You are righteous before Almighty God as a believer. The idea that these profound individuals that have lived a righteous life and died are considered saints, as the Roman Catholic Church would pronounce them to be, is wrong. It's contrary to Scripture. We, according to Scripture, even Paul says to the church, you are saints, are believers in Jesus Christ. We're not sinners, we're saints. We are sinners in the sense that we still make mistakes and mess up, but we're saints. So there's a, and we're saints because we're sanctified. We're constantly walking with Jesus Christ and getting closer. Is everybody with me? Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. This is like a Bible lesson versus a message. And then you go in verse 3, and there's this salutation. He is just really pouring into them, and he says, grace and peace unto you. And he says grace because it's the Greek greeting, and peace is a Jewish greeting. Uh, you ever heard uh, somebody say shalom? That means peace unto you. And so he kind of merges the two. Every time he writes a letter, he really focuses on peace and grace. And you can't have peace without grace. You know, you have to have the grace of God in order to have the, the peace of God. And so I think it's really beautiful how he focuses on that. And he says, I'm giving you peace, first grace and peace. And I want you to know salutations to you. And uh, then he dives into this in verse 4 through 9, with a declaration. And he kind of reminisces on things that they already know. He's done that before. Last week, we kind of read through some of the letter that he did this very thing. He reminds them. He gives this declaration of their position in Jesus Christ. And he said, you've been given grace, and you're enriched with knowledge. And let me say this about that word enriched. It means filthy rich. I mean, you're over abundantly rich. You're not just wealthy. You're abundantly rich with, with knowledge and the gifts. And they experienced all the gifts of the Holy Spirit at that time. And he said, and, and, and you know the peace of God and the grace of God. In other words, you are a blessed church. And I want to set the stage before I rip your face. You are so blessed. And you have so many benefits. And grace and peace unto you. But now it's time to do some maintenance because I'm hearing some things. And then he throws Chloe under the bus. Because he literally tells her name. (laughs) Like Chloe said there's some division going on in the church. And so now we enter into the very next verse, which is verse 10. And we start to see the maintenance of the church and how he kind of speaks into the church to fix the church's problem. And this speaks directly to us today. So don't lose track. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. He said, now I beseech you, brethren... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. What is that same thing? Look at the very next portion. And I want to break this out into, uh, down into two, two points, okay? And that there be no division among you. But, that's point number one, that there be no division among you. But that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind in the same judgment. So this is the maintenance of the church. This is where he brings it all together. And basically, if you want to use this phrase, united we stand, divided we fall. Let's flip that and start with the division. The division of the church. That's the first thing he addresses. So I need you to really 
Open your mind and focus right now, even if you need to slip out and grab another coffee with like three shots. We only have one hour together, and about 30, 40 minutes of that is a study in the Word of God. So I don't want you to walk away with nothing. You need something, even if you just got one point. And here's the first point. The division of the church. There was division because of contentions. Contentions. Look at the very next verse. This is expository preaching. That means we go verse by verse by verse. Okay, verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by who? Well, Chloe's house, that there are contentions among you. Chloe spilled the beans. You guys have contention in your church. And by the way, this is one church. This is not multiple churches like we studied last week where he wrote the letter to multiple churches. This is one specific church like the Thrive Church. It was probably his smallest Thrive Church. And he's digging into their, 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 if you want to call it, spiritual lifestyle or church lifestyle and saying there's a problem. There's disagreements in the church. That's not a bad thing. I know that seems weird to say that. But disagreements within the church, are, they're, they're acceptable. But contention is never acceptable in the church. You see, the word contention in this verse means to, uh, to have strife and arguing and disp- uh, uh, disagreements to a level that's further than anything you would ever experience in just like um, uh, you know, a disagreement over something minute. These got really deep and ugly. So with that in mind, I want you to understand that Paul is making it very clear. There is no room in the church for contention. The Bible clear, declares it this way, that we are to handle this, this division within the church in such a way that is very specific. I love this because we are giving clear direction in the book of Romans how to handle contentions in the church. This is what Paul said. He said in the book of Romans chapter 16, verse 17, mark them and avoid them that cause division. Mark them and avoid them. Now, let me say this. He is specifically in this portion of scripture dealing with division over uh, doctrinal error. But he also is very clear that division in general is unacceptable. Contentions, not disagreements, contentions. So he says to mark them and avoid them. What does it mean to mark them? Mark them means simply to do this. Be cautious of them. To spread rumors about them, but be cautious of them. In other words, there's a problem with this guy, Victor. Victor tends to run his mouth and he's saying things and he's, he's upset about some things. <laughs> and, and, and we're like, man, be cautious with Victor because he has a loose tongue, all right? But then it says, go a little further. You might even want to avoid. The word avoid is used throughout scripture, specifically when, if you look at the book of, uh, of Proverbs, when the father is investing in the son and he's speaking of the horse woman, he says, avoid her. Don't even go by her door because she's got those eyes. She'll lure you in. Just avoid her. The reality is the more you're around people that are negative, you become negative. The more you're around people that, are, that, that cause division, you will soon be a part of the division. So let's, let's continue. The reason Paul gives such strong warning to the church concerning those who are, who are causing this division is because Paul knew what contention would do to the church. And it wasn't just Paul that knew this. Jesus Christ himself knew that when the church was established, 
that division would destroy the church. And this is the way Jesus addressed it in Mark chapter 3, verse 24 through 26. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot what? Stand. That kingdom cannot stand. In other words, if there's division with the king and his employees, if you would, then that kingdom is going to crumble. The community will not be able to stand. Then it goes a little bit and gets uh, a little bit more personal in verse 25. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot what? Stand. Mom and dad, you have division. Your home is going to crumble. Your kids are going to fall apart. Then the next verse is mind-blowing. When you'll read verse 26... And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand. Wow. If the kingdom of darkness cannot even stand when division is involved, what makes you think you can? What makes you think the church can? Jesus is very specific. Division of the church right here was because of contentions. Division crumbles the church. It destroys it from the inside out. And again, division in the church is not disagreement. It's contentions, strife, arguing, anger, division. It will ruin the church. So Paul says, listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, Chloe said, y'all have some serious division going on and we need to fix this. And the reason this division is going on is there's contention amongst you guys. Why is there contention? I think the answer comes in the very next verse. There was division because of factions. It's not just contentions, but factions. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Now this I say, that every one of you said, saith, I am of Paul, or I am of Paulos, or I am of Cephas, which is Peter, or I am of Christ. The Greek word for division in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 is in reference of a garment being ripped into factions, into pieces, into individual sections. Now, why is that important? Because what's happening here is the church, this little church, is being divided up into factions, groups, and cliques. And the groups and cliques are four different ones. You have Paul, who taught the Gentiles from a Gentile perspective. You, had, you have Apollos, who taught in a scholar, scholarly way. He was very scholarly. And then you have Peter, who taught from a Jewish perspective. And then Christ, who had a perfect perspective. So watch this. Here's the little church. It could be like Thrive Church. And so you have a group over here that says, man, we just, we're just old school. We, we, just, we're, we, like, we like the way Peter preaches. He's specific about the Jewish people. He walked with Jesus himself. You know, I know Paul started the church and Paul's writing letters to the church, but I rather lean toward Peter and what he says. I just big fan of Peter. Then you got some over here that are really self-righteous and like, well, we, we go a little further than that. We love Jesus Christ, Christ and Christ alone. Hallelujah. You can follow Peter, but Jesus, we, some of us have even seen the works of Jesus Christ. That's where we stand. And so they're like over here, and these are over here, and then some are, Apollos is the pastor of the church. Well, we should follow him. He's the leader. He's scholarly. I mean, Paul, he's kind of abrasive. 
I mean, he's got a sketchy background. I mean, he used to literally put people to death. I mean, what kind of pastor is that? And then you have the others like, well, I like Paul. He cares about the Gentiles. He's not caught up with Judaism. And so you have these different remnants and I would say elements within the church that are focused on preferences and ideas. This is not necessarily doctrinal error. It's just these these cliques and these, these, these groups that are focused on these different biblical preferences. Why is that a problem? It's a huge problem because we experience it even today within the church. We get caught up with those things. A personality within the church, a party, or this team. We're team Dave, we're team Tony, we're team Chris, you know. We have these teams, you know. It's funny, I'll hear, when I go back to fellowship, some of the older people will pull me over the side and say, you know, I don't want this to get back to Pastor Tony, but you're our favorite. And then I hear others say, you know, I really like, nothing against you, Dave. But there's something about Tony's preaching that I could just relate to. And then, but that's not a problem because I'm here. But when you're there, it becomes awkward and it becomes a problem. So if Tony listens to the podcast, hey, you know now, Tony, you've got an issue. I'm Chloe. I'm calling it out. So, <laughs> and so there's these issues that develop. Division came about because of biblical preferences. Uh, it, it came about because of different points of views, opinions, and so forth. It wasn't an issue of doctrine, but these issues became big problems. It's easy to get caught up in our own biblical opinions by, and, and, and bypass the fundamental truths. Your opinions and your point of views, you know, they're important, but they shouldn't separate you from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and it happens over and over and over again. We all have preferences. We all have biblical opinions. And, and, and I feel like that's important because those are things in our life that we consider standards and guidelines and boundaries that we live by. But if, unless they're doctrinal, error, we shouldn't divide over those issues. You, I'll say it this way. You agree to disagree. In the book of Titus, chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul said it this way. He said, basically, when it comes to these divisions... Um, if they're not, you know, anything that's uh, unprofitable and vain, these discussions, you need to stay away from it. If it, it's not important, in other words, why discuss it? Why did get, why did get into these conversations? He said, avoid those conversations. And let me rephrase that because they are unprofitable and vain. That makes better sense, don't it? He said, avoid these conversations because they're just, it's senseless. It's goofy. You're wasting time. Everybody's getting bent and out of shape over silly, silly things that are not doctrinal issues. And so Paul digs deep. When I was a little boy, I would go to my aunt's house, and my mom would have this big discussion with my aunt, and we would go outside because we're in the middle of nowhere, <clears throat> and there was really nothing to do. So we'd play this game called Kick the Can. And you put this jug of water it's partially filled with water out in the field. You kick it, and everybody goes to run, and one person is looking for you. You find that person. They're captured, and then if you kick the can, they're set free. We love that game. God only knows how many snakes we snuggled with because we'd do it at night. We couldn't see what was going on. But what was taking place inside the house was these deep discussions about preferences, not doctrine. And they'd get in these deep discussions. My mom and my aunt, and they'd just go at it. They'd just have long discussions. And, they're... and so that was great for us because that meant we had more time to play. 
And it would go on and on and on. And then when we'd see it, it would die down, I would say to my cousin Adam, I was like, we should bring something up. <laughs> so I'd go in the house and be like, Aunt Belinda, does Angel still wear dresses to church? Is that like a big deal to you guys? Then I'd go play kick the can. <laughs> it's like, threw some gas on the fire and let's go. And Paul says, you know what that is? It's just unprofitable and vain. It's silly. Why are we wasting our time with this? And people so easily break the church up in in factions and they get focused on this issue and focused on this issue. In some of the old school churches, they're saying, man, I don't like the music in this church. It's not, they're not, we need to get back to the hymns. And I like the contemporary and I like the praise and worship. And you have these factions going on. You say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it becomes a big deal. When you allow those factions to grow, and now you have division in the church, which means the church is splitting apart within itself. So Paul says, man, this is out of control. So Paul confronts the issue by asking a few questions. Now, let's just go to the very next verse, verse 13. He said, is Christ divided? Was, was Paul, he's speaking of himself, crucified for you? Uh, Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? And the answer, of course, is no to all of those things. Christ, the body of Christ, is not divided. The body of Christ is the church. He's the head of the church. It's not divided. He says, common sense, it cannot be divided. This is the way God designed it. All of you are part of that body, whether it's a finger, an arm, or leg. He describes this in another portion of scripture. He said, he can't be divided. It It doesn't work that way. And he said, you can't baptize in my name. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what you baptize in. There's no authority in me. So why are you acting as if Paul has authority or or Peter has authority? It's not about any of that. We're all in this together. So these factions that you have allowed in the church have to stop. It's unnecessary. You're tearing, remember, it's tearing the church apart. And so here we go. With, with Paul's point of view, he, Paul makes it a very simple point about the body of Christ. He makes it very clear. The body of Christ is one. I mean, that's pretty easy to understand. But I want you to notice something that he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you fast forward in verse 25, he said that there should be no schism. So the word schism means to, to literally pull apart. It's like dislocating a bone. He said that in the church, there should be no dislocation. There's no room for that. There should be perfectly joined together. If we allow that even on the simplest things, then we have a problem within the church. And so he said that there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Now, and then he goes on further to say, uh, that you are the body of Christ and the members in particular. Every one of you have a specific role within the church, and that's important. When he addressed this in another portion of Scripture, he said, you can't have the arm saying to the hand, I want to be the hand. He said, it don't work that way. You're the arm, they're the hand, you work together, and we make the body of Christ work. We can't have factions and pull apart from each other. We're in this together. So everybody follow me? It's pretty, pretty simplistic. But nobody has the authority to divide the church. We can't separate by these titles or these opinions and these ideas or these people like Paul. And so let's go to the next one. 
You can't, you, and, and we'll have to back up a little bit. Is that okay? We'll go to verse 10. We're just going to back up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And we're going to look at the unity of the church, okay? And so in verse 10, it says, But that ye be perfectly joined together. Jesus poured out his heart to his heavenly Father about this in John, um, in John chapter 17. And he, it was his desire. He said, it is my desire to glorify the Father. But he goes into detail. And he said that they, and he, let's just read it together in uh, John chapter 17, verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I, give, I have given them, that they may be one. What's the word? One. one. Yeah, I got the three of you. Let's say it again. What's the word? Even as we are one, I want the church to be, act as one body. He said, Heavenly Father, that's what I want. Just like we are, I want them to be the same, be as one. I and them, and, the, uh, and, and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. There's the word again. And the reason for this, if you continue reading in verse 23, so that the world may know that you've sent me. Why did he say that? Because if there's division in the church, they will not see the unity of the church and they will not want to be a part of the church. He said, I want them perfectly joined together. Paul's desire for the church was the same thing. And that's why he's speaking to the church. I heard of an encounter in a church where there's division in the hallway. After the division took place and there was dispute about the way something was handled, they didn't realize there was new members watching this. Not even new members, excuse me. They weren't even members. They were just visiting. And they said to their friend, I just don't want to come back to this church. Because if this is the type of church you guys are, I don't want anything to do with it. Because I saw the division. I've left the church with division. It pushes people away when you have these factions and divisions and contentions within the church. And Paul said, it is vitally important for us to understand that we are to be perfectly joined together. The word perfect is very important in, in referencing the unity of the church because this word perfectly joined together or these words is, is in reference to a surgeon where he brings back the bone and puts it into place. Um, I love this verbiage because it's very important for us to understand when it comes to the body of Christ it's very specific. It's very gentle when we have division to bring things back into place. And it takes time to work through those things because it's just uncomfortable. I, um, I thought I dislocated this finger. I can't even wear my wedding ring. I was, I, I was sucking up all the leaves in our yard with this big leaf machine and I had this big hose. And it got stuck in it. So I'm hitting the side as hard as I can. Then I missed and I hit my finger. I about died in the yard. And I'm thinking, oh, it's either broke or dislocated. It wasn't either. It was just I'm weak. And, and still today, it still hurts. That's like over a week ago. But here's the problem. It's not going to fix itself. I had to care for it. I had to ice it. I had to be careful with it. And, and over time, I know the pain will go away. The same with the church. It may be put back into place, but over time, we have to be careful and gentle with it to allow it to heal. So... This is cool. Paul is very direct in this area in which he's discussing the unity. He says, he points out two specific areas that the church must be unified in. And this is what they are. He said, in mind and in judgment. 
in mind and in judgment. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 and verse 10, further in that portion of Scripture. In the same mind, in the same judgment. The word mind is not in reference to the way we personally think or our opinions, okay? We, we all have the right to our own opinion. We all have opinions. We all have that idea of we think this is the way things should be done. That's called free will. We all have that. It's a beautiful thing, and you should enjoy having that, but you've got to be careful with the way you handle that. And, um, and so if we had to compare Scripture with Scripture, we have a better understanding of what this word mind specifically means. And so I look back at the writings of Paul to the church, and we can better understand the meaning behind it. So perfectly joined together in the same mind. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2 through 5, he addresses this. And he explains it a little better, okay? Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. He's talking to the church again. Be like-minded, having the same love, being of, this, uh, of one accord, of one mind. There's the word one again and again and again. Not, not, and then he goes on in verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in loneliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than than what? Themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And there's the verse that we're looking for. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. It is absolutely amazing what happens when you agree to disagree and stop focusing on the non-essentials. As Paul said in verse 3 and 4. Loneliness of mind. I struggle with this. Oh my goodness, I struggle I struggle because I have an opinion, a way of doing things, specifically when I'm building or developing things. And somebody that really has good input comes along. I shut them down. I sometimes shut my wife down. I shut my kids down. Do you guys feel that way sometimes? It's a horrible thing. And I need to learn this principle, specifically in the church, loneliness of mine. I need to back up a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, Paul addresses this with the church of Corinth as well. He's very direct with them. And in, in the fact that, that, that the church that we are in must have the mind of Christ. So let's just sum it up. What in the world is the mind of Christ? How can you have the mind of Christ? I mean, that's the Son of God. Well, having the mind of Christ means we understand God's plan in the world. I think we all agree that God's plan for the world is to bring glory to himself, to restore creation to its original splendor. That, that, that means that relationship that we were meant to have with God. He wants us to restore that and to provide salvation for sinners. That is the mind of Christ. You said, Dave, that is too simplistic. Well, it is. It's very simplistic. In other words, if we the church, or to have unity, we have to be like-minded. That means we need to get over the silly things and focus on the big things. That means we need to focus on the fundamentals of the faith and realize that the world's going to hell and we're going to waste so much time on things that don't matter. I did it for years and years of my life while I was living in the Bible Belt. I focused on non-essentials. It just destroyed my life. And I was so angry. The reason I was angry is because people didn't align with what I thought. And so I just got angry about it. I was an angry little fundamentalist. And just being transparent, I was so angry. And I was only like 15, 16 years old as a young preacher. 
I remember I would get so amped up if I did anything that I thought was contrary to what I believed, I would make it a point that I wasn't going in that direction. I had a teacher, I went to a Christian school, and because I was so critical all the time, she brought out the fact that I was wearing a tie that had these characters on it. And she said, well, wouldn't you consider that worldly? And, he, and I was like, so arrogant, and I'm like, you're right. Took the tie up, uh, off and ripped it up in front of this teacher as if to say, I'm better than that. It's just this arrogance. And it's so disgusting because we grow up in that and we continue that and we pass it on to our children and we're not like-minded. We're not focusing on things that matter most. And we get just caught up with these things. <clears throat> Let me say this. It means we share Jesus' perspective in humility and obedience where that's being like-minded. Philippians 2 talks about that. Compassion, as Matthew chapter 9 speaks of. Prayerful and dependence on God, as Luke chapter 5 says. It means that we identify with Christ's purpose. Is that simple enough? Which brings you to the next portion of Scripture. In the same mind and in the same judgment. That word judgment is not in reference to judicial law. It's, it's talking about purpose. We have the same purpose. It's unique how the translators put this word in Scripture, but it is profound when you dig deep and realize that being like-minded means you're going to have the same purpose. So let's sum this up. What is our purpose? Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's simple, guys. We have a responsibility as a church to be like-minded. That means if we're like-minded, we have unity, we're going in the same direction, we have the same purpose. Yeah. That means that if I have an opinion and you have an opinion, we may not have the same opinion. I prefer a beard that's about this short. I believe Jesus had this type of beard. I'm lying, I just made that up. But you, my friend, Stephen, your beard is too long for me. That bothers me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a faction of people that is going to be for beards like this. And you and my father-in-law can have your own fact. That seems silly, doesn't it? But that's the way the church can easily operate. And so when they have a mission to go do something for the Lord Jesus Christ, to meet people's needs and, and then point people to Jesus Christ, the purpose, people can't work together because they are caught up in their own cliques. You know, when I was a youth pastor, there were so many cliques inside the youth group. Cliques were based on preferences. They were based on friendships, styles, personalities. And, 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 and I'd have parents come to me and say, we've got to get rid of these cliques. And I was like, I can't fix the cliques. I'm not like this angel from heaven that can bestow wisdom upon your children to get them to understand that this is not a good idea. It's creating division in the church, in the youth group. I can't fix it. You know who can fix it? Your kid. Because your kid needs to let the other kids know this is a non-essential. This is okay if they're this way and we're this way. We have to work together. If it's a doctrinal error, we need to address it and fix it. But this shouldn't be something that separates us. So in closing, I want to give you this. I, I just I want you to think. I want it on these questions. Are you in division? It may not be in the church. It may be in your home. It may be with your husband. It may be with your wife. I don't know. But are you? Have you allowed contention 
to prevent you from having an effective relationship? Has your contention prevented you from having an effective relationship? What does that mean? How's your marriage? How's your relationship in the church? How's your relationship with your kids? Is there something taking place? Because it's not just about the church. It's about our personal homes as well. That's why Jesus said a home or house divided against itself cannot stand. And then here's another question to think on. Is it a dis... Let me ask you this way. Why? What, what, what is the division? What is it? Can you think of it right now? What's going on that's such a big deal to create the division? And is it a disagreement or is it a doctrinal, a doctrinal error? Is it, can it be resolved or... Are you willing to resolve it? How about that one? Are you willing to resolve it? I'm going to have Victor come and begin to play, and we're going to sing in just a minute. But I I need to ask this other question, too. Are you willing to do, as Paul said, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, what is it? Have humility and value others above yourself. Oh, my goodness, that's so hard. So let's make application. Here it is. I asked the question, now you make application. Division is only solved by willing to let go. Ugh. I'm going to give you an inside secret about my life. I used to have some serious division with my brother Tony. Oh, whew. we did not see eye to eye. It was like two different worlds and two different churches. I grew up in the Bible Belt and I stayed in the Bible Belt. I had a very conservative way of looking at everything. I felt like my brother was one of the biggest compromisers on earth. What is Fellowship Baptist Church doing? I mean, they're listening to contemporary music. I mean, this is just out of control. So me and my brother would have these Christmases together. So we'd have these discussions, as Paul would say, that were unnecessary, unprofitable, and vain, if you would. Okay? And it would drive my mom crazy. I thought these things were so important and I didn't understand they were not essentials. And there was this division. We could reach the world together, really. And so God shifts gears in our lives, right? And I end up in Ohio on staff with my brother as the executive pastor eventually. And we're doing this for 14 years together. And I learned very quickly that what mattered most was the unity of the church to be of one mind and judgment, which is purpose. And then we saw things change, right? I had to learn to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You know how many times I've told my brother that? That's tough. How many times I'd say, man, you remember when I said that to you? That was wrong. Remember how I got bent over A, B, and C? That was wrong. I'm sorry. The more I humbled myself, the more I enjoyed myself. <laughs> I, like, I like being around myself, you know. If you really are way away from God, you will even despise yourself. That's sad, right? Because you're contentious. So me and my brother, we just changed over a period of time. We saw something happen. We saw the church grow. We saw... the Easter drama and the different things we would do to reach the community prosper. But it was because we became of like mind and judgment purpose. Division is only solved by being willing to let go. This is called humility. This is agreeing to disagree. Determined to be uh, 
I think this is the best way to put it. I wrote this down. Determined to lose battles that prevent the ultimate win. In other words, disagreements, disputes, opinions, they're okay to be lost, to save a friend or your marriage. (laughs) It's okay. When's the last time you were the first one to say, I'm sorry? Ooh, right? You know how many times I'll get into dispute? Boy, I'm so transparent today. And I'll sit in my truck and I'm like, I'm going to wait for her to text me, speaking of my wife. I will not say I'm sorry. Not this time. Dave Liuzzo is the one that says it all the time. At least that's what I think. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And finally, conviction is overwhelming. I'm like, you know, you sorry sucker. Just go back to the house and say you're sorry. You know, even though you were 99.9% right, I mean, come on, give her a little bit. Man, that's humbling, right? But it got easier when I realized, you know, it's okay. It's all right. Develop a like-minded friendship that focus on the purpose rather than the person. Did you hear that? The purpose rather than person. I've worked with some people for the last 21 years of full-time Christian service that I didn't like to work with. Y'all follow me? I'm talking about in the church, people. I'm not talking about at Walmart or Target or working at McDonald's. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And what I had to learn very quickly is I need to focus on the purpose rather than the person. And over time, even the ones I didn't like, I started liking. You know, the weird ones. Like... And then the weird ones started being attracted to me. I don't know what happened there. (laughs) Like, you know, but that's okay because I enjoyed being with those people and meeting their needs. Let me close with Ephesians 4.2. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's all about peace. Some of us don't have peace because we simply just like to live in discord. I don't like it. I need peace, peace, peace. Where are you? Where are you with your friends, with your husband, with your wife? Where are you with your church, like Paul said? Where are you? Are you willing to humble yourself before God and say, Hey, it's time to do some big things for Jesus Christ and focus on being like-minded and fulfill the purpose? Because if not, there's just going to continue to be contention and factions and division. And that's not what God meant for us.